You like the Just Baseball show and want to make your own? Let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never seen before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Start your week, Monday, September 6th. Just Baseball Show. Jack McMullen, Aram Layton, getting you primed for the start of the September push. Just wrapped up Dodgers and Giants. Now we jump into another week of high leverage baseball. It's really fun to like have this kind of vibe going on. And I know we've talked about it. Start a college football. We're on the edge of the NFL season getting going. And you've also got the most meaningful time of baseball. Derek King, man, I'm sorry. He, no. 20, 25 year old gunslinger just can't get it done against uh, what the new Bear Bryant in Bama. I didn't, I didn't think you were going to bring that up. Honestly, um, that was that was horrible. I, I knew that, and of course, I grew up a Miami fan. Uh, my mom went there. I grew up going to the games, and unfortunately, that was right after 2001. You know, and and that they have just been in a spiral since then. Right. Uh, Miami's a joke. Uh, the program's dead. It's yeah. it's it, it, Texas is not back. Miami's not back, but Miami's really screwed. And that really was a tough, uh, a tough one to endure. Worst spot, Texas or Miami right now? Miami, Miami. You think it, so? Yeah, Miami. It, it's a disaster, man. I think Manny Diaz is out. I, I just don't see how they have Ed Reed on the sidelines coaching. Did you see the picture? It was Ed Reed with his head down like this. And the score below was like 31-3. And you know, it was like. I will say this, having Ed Reed there to coach up Bubba Bolden after he's ejected for targeting. Yeah. Like oh, don't get me started with targeting. Oh, oh my. Well, targeting. like we Ruining college start. football. It's ruining it. Yeah, dude. It, it's a bad look. But we are a baseball podcast. Um, we've got two prospect conversations to have. I'm going to throw a question at you, and then you're going to throw a question at me, and then I think we'll be done. Quick right. little Monday primer. Prospect number one that I want to talk about. We both had our eyes on Mackenzie Gore through different lenses on Sunday. I call games for the Fort Wayne Tin Caps. They are the Padres high A affiliate. Mackenzie Gore started the year in AAA as the best pitching prospect in baseball. He's still really good. At his best, it's understandable why he got Clayton Kershaw comparisons, but he wasn't at his best at the beginning of 2021. He was dealing with some blister issues, um, among other things, possibly goes to the ACL, comes up to Fort Wayne, and is starting his reascension to the precipice of the show, which is where he was at. Yep. And 
I watched Gore on Sunday. He went five innings. His last four were scoreless. He struggled in the first one. And you were keeping tabs on it too. You were live tweeting. And let's talk about the stuff first, but then let's talk about the reaction that that start got on social media. Stuff was good. Fastball was 93 to 96. It topped at 96. It was 93 to 95 for the most part. Changeup and slider are nasty. Yeah. I understand he's kind of been MIA, but he still has it. That That's for sure, man. And, and that's the tough part with somebody like him is, you know, the stuff's there. And I think the fact that he's even flashing it even more now than before, I think if he goes out and pitches the way he did today in AAA, I think the outcome's very similar. Maybe does he get out of that first inning where he was shaky? That could be the only difference where they pummel him a little bit more early on. But if we talk about the subsequent four innings, if he's executing those three pitches, sitting in the mid-90s with the fastball and throwing strikes, you pointed out to, to me that the first 30 pitches he threw, only half of them were strikes. The rest of the way, I think he was closer to two-thirds of them being strikes. So yeah. once he settled into that and you're mixing up those three pitches with good velo, he probably would have been effective in AAA. For him right now, I think all that Mackenzie Gore is battling right now is himself right? Can he repeat the mechanics? Can he throw those three pitches for a strike? If he does, he's going to beat most hitters. And and that's where he's at right now. It's, it's not, can he pitch at this level? I think he can pitch at any level. It's just whether he himself is going to be uh, pitching to the best of his capabilities, but he is already good enough to get anybody out. I really think the stuff for Mackenzie Gore is when he's on, he can go six innings of one run ball at the major league level. Literally. Like, right, like that is how good the stuff is. That's how good the stuff has been since his senior year of high school. Yep. And the stuff has gotten a lot better. That curveball was nasty. It was an aesthetically beautiful pitch in high school. That's the pitch that everybody oohed and odd over. And then all of a sudden, he starts working on this slider, and this slider surpasses his curveball. So he's got a plus curveball, a plus plus slider, a plus changeup, and a fastball with a lot of tumble, a lot of run, a lot of dive at 96 miles an hour. Like that stuff is legit. But yeah, 30 pitches in the first inning, 15 for strikes. After he settled in, he had he had five total punch outs. I think three of them came on three pitches. Hmm. Like he's got dominant swing and miss stuff in the zone. Command has always been good, except this year. When he gets back to the command, I he'll shoot right back up. That's exactly what I'm saying too, right? And the weird thing with him is usually we're talking about guys who never had the command. So you're saying if he can find the command, he's got the stuff. That's a totally different case, right? Because with Mackenzie Gore, we already knew he had the command before and then it went away. And now we're hoping it can come back. He always had the stuff. So this is a very unique case. Normally one guy always had one and didn't have the other. That's really the big thing. It's always, you know, will he be able to command it? That's the trouble here is where did he go wrong? How did he get here and how can he fix it? It looks like a start like that could be a microcosm of of better things to come, right? Because he started shaky and this time he adjusted and fixed it in that same start, which I think is a really good sign. And I, I hope that he builds off of that into the next start because, I mean, this is a kid that had all the notoriety a high school baseball player is going to get, uh, he got as much attention and buzz as a prospect as any guy is really going to get besides Wander Franco and like Laddie, if we're talking about high school pitchers. And now he's got a lot of that riding on his shoulders uh, to not be a bust. And that's a weight that you and I will never understand. And uh, that's definitely something that 
I can't imagine now at this point going back and just trying to get to where you know you should be, but without listening to all that outside noise. There was a lot of outside noise today, and you and I were both looking at social media channels, Twitter in particular. I, For some reason, there are a lot of people out there that just want to see this guy crash and burn for no good reason. No. Yeah. It, it's... I think it's just the human nature to a, to a degree, right? Like human nature is that for whatever reason, a lot of people like to see someone rise to stardom. If we talk about celebrities and then crash and burn, there's something about that story that always captivates people, right? How many documentaries, stories, articles, whatever right. people love that. I don't know why this is obviously a smaller thing. Cause Mackenzie Gore wasn't the most famous dude in the world, but in the baseball realm, he was. And it's almost like people want to say like, oh, I told you that guy wasn't going to be as good as everybody said, or they're almost cashing in their hot takes from before. That's one thing. But also I saw so many people in the mentions that were, were saying just, oh my gosh, he's falling apart. They should have traded him when they could like laughing about it. Dodger fans that were like amped on it. And like, like I get it. It's a rivalry. You, you want to do better than your other team. But to me, this is the same thing. This is the same area as rooting for injuries. That's like Mm -hmm. celebrating an opposing team injury because look, you want to beat the other team at their best. I understand. I don't want every player to turn into a superstar for my rival team. That being said, I would rather a player have a good baseball career and flourish and and support himself. than Oh, that team I don't like has one less rotation piece. Now. Hell yeah. I'm glad that guy's life is not where he wanted it to be. I can't, I can't align with that. I'm a big passionate fan. I'm all about that stuff, but that that's where that's where you lose me. Dude, I as somebody that grew up in Chicago, I wasn't necessarily the biggest Bear, Bears fan, but like I rooted for the Bears. I respect the hell out of Aaron Rodgers, right? Do I hate watching him beat the crap out of my team? Absolutely. But would I root for that guy when he's out of Cal like, "Oh, I hope this guy never sees the field." Hell no. What type of human being roots for you to never find success? The one thing you devote your entire life to, I hope you never achieve that. Because you'll make my team lose a little bit more. Maybe. maybe. Like you're the worst if you do that. Yeah. If, if you, for some reason, hate the Jacksonville Jaguars and you look at Trevor Lawrence and say, Bam. I hope you throw zero touchdowns and 50 picks your first year. Like you're just the worst type of you're human being. I'm, I'm okay with him having a bad game against my team, but that's it. You know, like that's normal, right? We're not rooting for his active permanent failure, right? That response was overwhelming from this Mackenzie Gore thing where just people really want to see almost like a tragedy story. Obviously we're in a very, uh, we're in a dark movie. part. It's a cesspool. Yeah. I would say it's, it's a cesspool in Twitter. Like you're going to get the darkest of dark over there. So yeah. that, that's also what we're, what we're calling towards right now. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, it just comes with the territory over there. I'd say 99.99% of baseball fans outside of Twitter would love to see Mackenzie Gore flourish. Yeah. Uh, Twitter's just a crazy place, man. It, it really is. And I know we were waging war last episode on people who predict uh, prepubescent injuries. Yeah. And now we're, we're waging war on people who want people to just fail. Uh, it, it's all relative to me. I think those are all the same person, frankly. Yeah, look at Jack in arm spearheading the moral code. Uh, Let's talk about another prospect that I didn't tell you who we were going to be talking about before we hit record. I said, we're going to talk about a guy who is doing something really cool. And I left it at that. I didn't give you a name. 
The name that I want to talk about is Mason Wynn, who is a shortstop in the St. Louis Cardinals system. Wynn was the second round pick of the cards in 2020 out of high school. He was taken as a shortstop slash right-handed pitcher. Wynn is hitting about 240 with an OPS just under 700, has five bombs, 44 RBIs, close to 30 stolen bases across Palm Beach, the low A affiliate, and Peoria, the high A affiliate. So what does he do today? He hops on the mound, throws his fastball 96 to 98 miles an hour, a slider with an RPM with a spin rate around 3,000, and he's apparently got a good hammer of a curveball too. Like this is the type of character that could be the new school. Like Mason Wynn could successfully do what Hunter Green was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Green was turned into a pitcher in earnest. No one's going to be Shohei Otani. No, nobody, 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 nobody. But what I know Peter's idea for Shohei was, was let him play the outfield and then use him out of the bullpen. If everything goes according to plan with Mason Wynn, I kind of like the idea of him being yeah. the shortstop of the future for the Cardinals. And he can also act as a setup guy or a closer every fifth day. How sick would that be? It's the coolest thing in the world. I just don't know how you do it as a shortstop. The, the kind of stress that that would put on your arm compared to the outfield. Just I feel like there's so many more bullets you're throwing. But you lead into a really good point. This was something that I was talking about with a buddy actually the other day. And you said nobody's going to become Shohei Otani or nobody will be Shohei Otani. That's almost surely true. Although I'm sure a lot of people in the past said that about crazy players in the past too. Right. But just knowing that Shohei is probably not going to be replicated for a very, very, very long time. hundred years. Yes, maybe. He has opened the door though for Mason wins and for other players, because there's one thing that I do think is 100% true is what did Shohei Otani on top of just the difficulty of hitting and pitching at a major league level. He also had to overcome the general belief that is still being perpetuated. He's hit 40, what, 43 home runs. And people who still have said to this point, I don't think it's best to do both. Like we still have people out there saying that, which are out of their freaking minds. There's not very many left. But my point is, is in the beginning, how many people said he can't do this? If you ran a poll, I would say it was probably close to 50-50 of nobody can do both. Nobody can do both. Right. And he's had to had the best season of all time, essentially offensively and having, you know, the the incredible season on the mound as well to finally quiet that narrative. How many players before him maybe could have done both at a decent level, at a competitive level at the MLB type of caliber player for both positions and maybe didn't get the opportunity because nobody thought it was possible. And if you're hitting 280 and have a three, five ERA, no one's going to freak out about that. Right. But you see what Otani's doing and maybe people will kind of deem that to be valuable, but then at what level is it worth doing both? And that opens up a whole nother can of worms, right? Is it better to be 250 with 20 jacks and also have a three, five ERA? Or what if you really focused on one and you could hit 280 with 35 jacks because you're focusing more on your upper body. So like, right. there's so many things there, but I just love what it opens up in terms of discussion. Yeah, it, it opens up a lot. And, you know, in hindsight, you, you start to think about those guys like, oh, who could have done both? And my mind immediately goes to Hunter Green, who yep. obviously still has time as he had to make his MLB debut. But, you know, what if he was playing shortstop in the red system? And I mean, right away, they made it clear that he wouldn't. So could Hunter Green pick up a bat and still be close to a 200 hitter? Yeah. Like, is he going to be really fun to watch? when he's hitting in the national league, if they don't adopt the DH. Yeah. 
yeah, he's going to be, be really one of those fun. pitchers. Yeah, he'll be one of those pitchers that are fun. Exactly. But Hunter Green could have been what Mason Wynn is hoping to be. Mason Wynn is 19 years old yeah, and he just he's turned in high 19. A. Yeah. He just turned 19 and he's in high A. Like this guy has a chance to be super special. And uh, if I this totally is the agree. mold, we can move forward with this. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if it's in a reliever type of role, I think that's even more fascinating. And the, the, the other thing too is, let's say Otani emerges five years ago. Do you think that Hunter Green's still doing both? Do you think they're yeah. looking at it differently? Are the Reds looking at it through a different lens if Shohei Otani is doing what he's doing now before they made the decision to have Hunter Green focus on one? Maybe, yes. maybe not. But I think it's an interesting question. No, I, I actually think it's a resounding yes. I think yeah. they have him try both at the very least. Um, the Reds also drafted another guy recently who is a top 10 prospect for them. Lion Richardson, hard-throwing yeah. right-hander. Richardson was a switch-hitting outfielder, was going to be like a fourth or fifth-round pick as an outfielder, but he went higher as a pitcher because he threw 98. I feel like it's that type of guy. Like Every organization has that type of guy that mm-hmm. could have been a top five round pick as a hitter, but he projects better as a pitcher or yeah. I'm concerned about his health. Let's make him a hitter. Let's fully commit to that. Every organization has one of those guys, because the fact of the matter is if you're a professional baseball player, you were probably really, really good at both at one point in your life. And the question is, when did you stop 16, 17, maybe your pro team told you to stop. That's, that's the big key. I mean, someone we just interviewed on, on a written piece for JustBaseball.com, I talked to Alec Burleson. And Burleson's having one of the best years from the 2020 draft class. He was a second-round pick, East Carolina guy, did both. He was, by the end, probably their best starting pitcher. Uh, or, or not their best because they got they had Gavin Williams, but one of their best starting pitchers and was just carving guys up. Southpaw on the mound, low 90s. Uh, three pitches, mixed them up well, wasn't the most exciting prospect in the world, but definitely had some potential on the mound, was hitting really well too, um, and got drafted as, as a position player, as an outfielder. But the thing is with him is he could probably throw a little bit. He ends up just focusing on hitting, and he told me in that interview what helped him excel in hitting and really take the next step because he's hitting for more power now. He's, his numbers are phenomenal. He's already made it up to AAA in his first season, unbelievable. He said, I, I was able to work out differently. I was able to do more, uh, more of those exercises and workouts that may have limited my mobility in terms of being loose with my arm. And, you know, you don't want to bulk up too much with your upper body. And some people have different beliefs on that. But he said, when I was pitching, if I did too much upper body, it affected me on the mound. So I didn't do too much upper body. Now I put on 15 pounds of upper body strength, roughly, and uh, I'm hitting a lot more home runs. And so it's just little things like that where that's what makes the decision a little hard too. It's beyond just, you have to focus on two different things. It's also how your body physically responds to that. And I think that's what people marvel with Otani is that his body physically endures things that I don't think 99% of people could even remotely handle. But it wasn't at first. I mean, this guy underwent Tommy John and he had a couple other surgeries as well. So I don't know. It's going to be something to monitor. And I love that point because there are totally different workout regimens. There are totally different body types for hitters versus pitchers. And if you do both, you have to pretty much be a unicorn. I've got a question. You've got a question. You want to start with your question or my question? You go first. Okay. What do you do with the dead weight if you are a postseason team? What I mean by that is I'm a Chicagoan. I've been a White Sox fan. Dallas Keuchel and his, 
I think $18.5 million <laughs> is dead weight. If that guy steps on the rubber during the postseason, I'm going to be really angry. Yeah. How do you handle that? How do you handle a guy like that? Or, I mean, bless his heart, and I hate including his name in this, how do you deal with Albert Pujols if you're the Dodgers? Because you're only going to net negative with Albert Pujols if he gets meaningful at-bats in the postseason. So I think the two are a little bit different. I do right. because Keuchel and my business and just the way I look at it, there's no use for him in, in the postseason, right? Especially as the White Sox, you're going to go with a three-man rotation in the postseason anyways. And then your bullpen is just loaded already. What do you need yeah. a soft throwing lefty in your bullpen for if you're the White Sox? Keuchel doesn't make much sense to me unless he just gets red hot down the stretch here because he is a veteran. He has been there and, there's that aspect to it, but I think that aspect shines through more in an Albert Pujols situation, being a veteran and being there in a comfortable situation in terms of an at bat, I think can translate. You can't go four shutout innings because you've been there before. It's just not going to work. It's if you're, if your stuff isn't there, your stuff isn't there. We've seen that Pujols can still make it happen with the stick in the right situations, especially against lefties. What I don't like is that you make a lot of moves. There's a lot of pitching changes, double switches, all of those things. And we just saw it the other day. Albert Pujols severely limits you. He can barely play first base. He's a terrible base runner. They had to burn a pinch hitter or they had to burn him off the bench to pinch hit him. Then he gets on base and now they got to burn another bench player to pinch run for him. So essentially you're sacrificing two spots at times when you pinch hit Pujols. And then also you might have to do the same thing on defense if you're not comfortable with him at first. So I really think you have to assess what you have. And if you're the Dodgers and you feel like, hey, we still don't have that guy that I feel really good about coming off the bench, even though Austin Barnes has been one of the best pinch hitters in, in baseball statistically, which is, which is pretty crazy for that reason. I think both could be out, but I would lean towards keeping Pujols in the mix. If, if I had to pick one. Yeah. I don't know. And I just to dive deeper on Keiko, like he's, he's so much of your financial commitment to the veteran presence on this team. Like you go out, you get him, you get Lance Lynn, you get Yasmani Grandal to provide that, veteran presence for a team that has not been anywhere near this area before Lance Lynn, obviously on the roster. He's for my money, the AL Cy Young award winner, although Garrett Cole is making this amazing push. Robbie um, Ray sneaking in there too, man. Robbie Ray sneaking in. Yeah, I know. Um, and then you've got Yasmani Grandal who's healthy and he's averaging like eight RBIs a game since he's back. Like this guy's standing on his head since he just yeah. came back from his injury. But Keiko, like he is entirely no help to you if you've got to win a postseason series. Zero. Do, do you just leave him off the roster? Every roster spot matters too much in the postseason. I, I think you have to. Every roster spot is so important. We we see it every year where a difficult decision is made where an important player is left off. And I think Dallas Keiko is that guy, and, and he's really not that important, but a notable player is left off. Pujols. I still could see the Dodgers just keeping him in the fold. I think that's somebody that you keep in the fold. But it brings up my question, which is piggybacking off of this topic. And there's another team that I don't think they're going to make the postseason. And they're in the hunt. They're three games out. It's the Mariners. The Mariners are still looking to build for the future, right? Like that's obviously they're looking years ahead from now. But at the same time, you're in a playoff race, like really yeah. close. You're playing very meaningful games and they'll probably be in the hunt until the last week of the season. That being said, they're playing Jared Kelnick every single day. Yeah, Jared Kelnick has a war, uh, according to baseball reference, of nearly negative two. 
He's hitting 159, 239, 286. That's a 525 OPS. And it's not like he's a gold glove defender in center field. So you are severely hurting yourself. You basically have a gaping hole in the lineup with Jared Kelnick. And I think Kelnick's going to be good. I think he's going to be perfectly fine. So many players struggle. And I think that it makes it even more difficult when you have to make your debut and there's pressure to not only hit and perform to your high expectations, but help a team that's in a playoff hunt. That's really damn hard to do. So I think it's really piling up for him right now. And at what point, if you're the Mariners, do you just say, hey, maybe we don't play him every day. I don't think you send Kelnick down. He has nothing left to prove in AAA, and I don't think you want to do that to his psyche, but maybe just don't play him every day. What if they do make the postseason? Are you putting Kelnick on that roster? Are the at-bats that he's getting more important in terms of experience than trying to sneak into a playoff spot and probably losing in the wild card game? Like right. All of those are questions that I wanted to ask you because to me, it's a really tough conversation, and I feel like most people would default to just let Kelnick play. Yeah, I I kind of default to the other thing. Don't play him if he's not ready. Um, mm-hmm. And honestly, I would be even more drastic. Like at, if I'm in the midst of a playoff push, my one of my top prospects psyche is honestly not at the forefront of my mind. That might make me a shitty person. But like if he's got to go back down to Tacoma to clear up that spot, he's got to go back down to Tacoma. Like I fully support sending a guy down if he is very brutal offensively right now when you're trying to make the postseason and if Taylor Trammell offers you a better opportunity out in the outfield if Kyle Lewis offers you a better opportunity to pair with Mitch Hanniger and whoever else they're running out there you have to do that you absolutely 100% have to do that so if Kelnick stays on the roster I don't think you can put him in the starting lineup if you were trying to win a postseason game. And if you do, you are just valuing the development of a 21 year old kid in the ALDS. And like, how can you do that? How can you do that to him in a wild card game to him? Not just the fan base, but to him. Yeah, that's a great, they scored 10 runs today. Seven of them came in the 11th inning. Jared Kelnick over five, two K's only two players in their lineup. Didn't have a hit. And it was him and the other guy who's just been a huge gaping hole for them and Dylan Moore. Yeah. Those two guys combined 0 for 10. Everybody else picked up hits and almost every other player picked up an RBI besides the leadoff hitter in JP Crawford, which is not his job to drive in runs. Right. So that is not ideal. They just swept the D-backs despite Kalnick. But when you're starting to get into more competitive games against better teams, like that could be the difference. Maybe yeah. not having Kelnick in the lineup would have prevented them from going to extra innings. That's the problem. And I don't want to be hard on the kid. Like, I think he's going to be great, like I said. But are we? at what point do we shift the focus to, hey, let's make a run at this thing? And if I'm a fan, I'm probably saying, let's make a run at this thing. Kelnick's time will come. It's not right now. That would be how I felt. Mariner fans have waited a long time for a competitive team, and I know they're going to get it soon. But this team is competitive right now. Let's see what they can do. And they're not going to win at all, but like, let's see what they can do. I'd be upset if I'm a fan, if, if it continues to look the same way moving forward. I understand that you want to be excited for a team that has Kyle Lewis and Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez and Emerson Hancock and George Kirby and our guy, Matt Brash and Isaiah Campbell. Like, I understand if you want to hold your bullets for that, but you don't have to hold your bill. You don't have to hold your bullets you can be really good this year with Ty France and Mitch Haniger. Just do it. Like, yeah, they are. So just be better. 
And yeah, I find it interesting that Kelnick is dead weight in a very similar way to Dallas Keuchel. But Kelnick's one of the worst players in the American League right now. I need your help on deciding who the NL MVP is. So this is one for me. I'm glad we're bringing this up because you know, Fernando Tatis is the odds-on favorite, a minus 280 last time I checked about 48 hours ago. So that far ahead, that was surprising to me. I thought he might be the favorite, but I thought maybe by a slim margin. To me, when I look at the, at the race right now, it's most valuable player – and people can talk about the narratives that go with it and all those things. There's always a narrative with it. You're asking writers to vote on an award. Of course, they're going to factor in the narrative, whether they say it or not, they're freaking writers. To me, you look at the Phillies, you take Bryce Harper away from this Philadelphia Phillies team. What are they? Yeah. What are they? I think they're not even near a playoff spot. You could talk about war and technically he, Bryce Harper's worth four point, whatever wins, whatever that means. Because to me, you don't have Bryce Harper in this lineup. They're 15 to 20 games less in, in the win column. I really do believe that. And you look at the numbers across the board, especially with Reese Hoskins out now, and they've been staying afloat with Reese Hoskins out. Harper's the only guy with an OPS over 800 on their entire team right now in their lineup. Who's protecting him? Nobody. JT Real Muto with a 790 OPS. He's a phenomenal catcher and a good hitter for a catcher. That's your protection for Bryce Harper. And despite all that, He's hitting 301, 413 on base. He's having the best season that he has ever had since he had the best season of the decade. So think about that. He's having his best season since he had the best season of the decade, whether you look at WRC plus, whether you look at whatever you want to look at. So for me, when I look at it at that lens, he's the most valuable player to a team that is in the hunt because of him. And that's my take on Harper. Fernando Tatis, <clears throat> excuse me. He's obviously a big part of a, a scuffling Padres team, but also he's missed some time. He's played bad defense when he's at short. I'm, and that's not to slight him, but we're talking about most valuable player all around. And now he's playing right field. So if he's really only providing value at the plate, and this is a team that I don't think needs him as badly as the Phillies need Harper, as crazy as that sounds, that's just how I look at it. Yeah, I will push back just a little bit on that because one of our top 10 surprises of the year, Pete and I was that Fernando Tatis Jr. changes the entire identity of the Padres. And I would argue that they do need Tatis as badly as the Phillies need Harper because you saw when Tatis was just out. I mean, the Padres looked horrible. They needed their savior back and they're relying on a 22 year old. Now I, if I had a vote, I would be voting for Bryce Harper. I would. And he just hit his 27th home run of the year yesterday yep. against your Marlins. That was a large reason why they got a win on the road against Miami. And we got to wrap up with that, by the way, the, the Marlins at the end, please. I need <laughs> okay. your thoughts on something. Okay, fine. But the reason I'm going with Harper is because he's done it for the entirety of the year uninterrupted. He was dealing with some injury woes just for a week or two at the beginning of the year. But after that, I mean, boom, he goes. Like as soon as he was off the blocks, he was leagues ahead of everybody else. He's got a 998 OPS. Tatis just three points better than him in that category. If you look at WRC plus, he's got a 161 WRC plus. That is the third best clip in baseball. Tatis is two better. War. Harper's at 5'1", 
Tatis at 5-3. But the strikeout rate, Harper is 5% lower. The walk rate, Harper is 3% better. He's got a batting average better by 20 points. He's got an on-base percentage better by 40 points. Slugging is lower. I get it. Tatis has hit more home runs. He's stolen more bases. But what Bryce Harper does for the Phillies in terms of getting on base every fucking day yep. cannot be replicated by no. anybody. And, and I, that's exactly what I was getting at, too, because I think Tatis is probably the second most important player to his team in the National League, and that's second to Bryce Harper. Because, again, with what the Phillies are limited to offensively, he is every part of that offense. They win games because of him. They lose games because of him. If you look at his numbers and wins versus losses for the Phillies, it's outrageous. If he doesn't hit, they lose. It's it's insane. If he doesn't hit, they literally lose. And I just feel like with the Padres, you still have Machado. You still have Grisham. You still have, and I know some of those guys have been up and down this year, but you still have a lot of guys that can really swing it. Even Eric Hosmer really swings it (laughs) straight into the ground. But (laughs) Outside of that, I mean, you still even Tommy Pham's had a bad year, but Myers, I think that the, what helps his narrative a little bit with Tatis is that this Padres team has been far worse than we expected. And he's the only reason why, why they're not really feeling how bad they are. Yeah. Uh, so that is true. The Phillies have no business being where they are. And I, I believe Harper is a big part of it. And I saw what he just did to my Marlins, which by the way, so this is something I just wanted to get an outsider's perspective on because yeah. This is something that I don't think very many people are thinking about because nobody thinks about the Marlins, but what's going on in Miami right now is nothing shy of a disgrace to the game. And and I'll explain why. So the 10th inning came up today and the Marlins were down by one. You get the runner on second. That's the tying run right there. Do up for the fish in that inning was Isan Diaz leading off the, then it was Sandy Leone. Then it was Devin Marrero. Devin Marrero is a 32-year-old career minor leaguer that has hit about a buck 20 in the big leagues, whatever it was. They brought him up instead of a prospect that they have in AAA hitting 320, Bryson Brigman. That move in itself is crazy. They have given Isan Diaz more at-bats than anybody I've ever seen. And I tweeted this out the other day. Three of the five worst hitters in Marlins history in terms of OPS are on the active roster right now. Minimum of 400 plate appearances. Number one is Jeff Mathis, 544 OPS. Two is Isan Diaz. This is all-time lowest OPS with minimum 400 plate appearances, 560. Three is Magnera Sierra, 564 on the active team. Four is Lewis Brinson, also on the active team at 580. So what it says is, Nobody's been allowed to be bad for this long, 400 plate appearances, and still get opportunities. Three of the five worst players in 29 years are actively still playing for the team. Dontrell Willis had a 639 OPS and 404 plate appearances as a Marlin, just for context. Jesus. Why are they okay with putting out the worst product possible? I don't know. Uh, that's, what it, that's what I don't understand. Yeah. And the best, the best I have is they don't want to take the loss on the Yelich trade. The second that you cut ties with Isan Diaz and Lewis Brinson, you say we utterly failed. But I think putting those guys out every single day to put up some of the worst numbers that you've ever have in your franchise, I think that's even worse. Didn't so you, you already utterly failed. He wanted. I agree. MVP. Like the the jigs up, the jigs up with Yelich. The jig is up with Real Muto. 
And so what, what, why are they doing this? Right. Why are, why is this has never been done in the franchise's history? No players in 29 years have been allowed to do this bad for 400 plate appearances. They get sent down, they get cut, they get traded, whatever it is. Nobody's allowed to just suck for this long. Why are they doing this? And I think it's just, it's disgraceful, frankly. Do they have reinforcements in AAA? They have a 26-year-old Bryson Brigman hitting 315 with a 120 WRC plus who can play second shortstop and third base. He's an above average runner too. I don't know if he'll be a good big leaguer, but I can promise you he's worth a look. And it's become a joke on on with Marlins fans and everything. It's just that they're never going to call Bryson Brigman up, that he's just a prisoner and that they like that's what the the narrative is there. I don't know what's happening. I know a lot of people don't care about it, but I just wanted to highlight that because it's again a disgrace. Yeah, that's weird. I I can't speak much to it because and and zero offense to the team that you cover, but they just don't get my attention much of I they don't get my attention at all. I'm sorry. They shouldn't. They shouldn't. I, they have to work for my, I have to work to give them my attention. Like it's yeah. very difficult, especially yeah. when you get to see Sandy Leone go out there every single day. Sandy Leone and Isan Diaz are combined two for their last 40 with a 40% K rate. And they play almost every day. Yeah. To be honest with you, like I will tune in for Sandy Alcantara or Pablo Lopez or Edward Cabrera to throw. But once they start hitting, I tune out. I don't care because if I turn on a Marlins game, I'm turning it on to watch whoever the starting pitcher is. And once the starting pitcher is done, I don't really get it. Hey, let's wrap wrap up the pod uh, by talking about what you did on Saturday, because I thought that sounded amazing. You took your first day off since late June. You fully disconnected and that sounds oh my god amazing i haven't disconnected since i don't know last week of april and i I, you're due for a disconnect i'm begging for the day that i can just wake up at at noon and shuffle around in moccasins and not do shit that's what i did today yeah i just you know we had been working so hard and we still are and everybody's been doing so much and since june 22nd's launch it's just been Every second I'm sitting for a minute, I'm like, okay, there's something that we can do for just baseball. There's something that we can do right now. Right. And it's, it's that startup effect. But with it being Labor Day, I knew I wasn't going to take Monday off because Monday is a big day content-wise and I want to pump out articles on a Monday morning. Right. And we know how it does with the podcast too. So I was like, okay, we're doing this podcast right now too. And that's going to be out on a Monday. But I was like, okay, I'm not taking that day off. Let's just have a great Saturday and just clear your head and just don't think about anything that matters for, for a day. I think I made up for all of the days I didn't <laughs> do that and just got after it a little bit too hard. I was really upset after my Miami Hurricanes got just pummeled too. Yeah. And I had a great time, but definitely felt it in the morning. Woke up at 1 p.m. like a loop, like just an absolute loser. Felt like a waste of space. It's the worst feeling ever, but you know what? I feel rejuvenated and I'm ready to go three more months without blinking and finish out this postseason, And then we can go to a desert away from all technology and live in a cabin for like two weeks and decompress again. Yeah. Didn't Jack Dorsey do that? Twitter CEO. Didn't he like go on this silent retreat or something? Yeah. I'm kind of down for that. 
I'm kind of down for that too. That would be sick. He is at Aram Layton eight on Twitter, where you will find him through at least the postseason, and then he may fully disconnect. I'm Jack <laughs> underscore McMullen eleven. That account may not exist in two months. I don't know. I I'm getting super fed up with with the Twitter thing. But we are on TikTok and Instagram at Just Baseball Fans. We are on Twitter as Just Baseball Media at Just BB Media. Twitch.tv slash Just Baseball Fans and. That's that. Pete and I will talk to you Tuesday.